Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Okay, we have a bonus episode for you. This is an episode from the conference that we recently had, Starving Fraternity recently had, on the Sanctification Through Suffering Conference. This is Pastor Frank Mullis dealing with the topic of depression. There are many people that struggle with depression, many who don't want to admit to it. And I think this message will help you, and it will help you to help others as well. So please think about sharing this. Make sure you subscribe to The Rap Report and If this is helpful to you, not only share it with others, but would you consider donating so we can produce more things like this? You can go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate to donate there. Now, before we get to the episode, let me give some shout outs to some things I noticed that were the active posts that people are looking at at the Striving for Eternity website. For last month, month of March, the number one post that we had was our episode of the podcast on the new apostolic reformation, whether it is a cult, and that was with my interview with Amy Spearman. We had a lot of people interested in that. Over 1,500 people just last month were looking at that post and that article. Uh, Another thing that was very interesting interesting was a lot of people were very interested in God's view of premarital sex part one and part two had many hundreds of people that went to check that out and so those are that was actually a blog article by one of our new bloggers and um, you could check that out Um, very helpful information that and I should say that that was from Ashley Evans she's one of our new bloggers. We will have another new blogger that we'll be announcing shortly, uh, probably later on this month. But uh, what what was of interest is this month, one of the number one things that people are going to check out was our article on what is salvation in Judaism. thought that was interesting. Another one is what is the afterlife in Jehovah Witnesses and what's the afterlife in Roman Catholicism. And so those are some of the top articles already. We found that to be kind of interesting. It's always good to see what people are searching for, what people are looking for. Uh, one of the searches that ranked high is salvation in Judaism. So that might explain why so many people were looking at that article. And so if you want to check out some more information we have, you can go to strivingforeternity.org, get more information about us. And you could help us if you would want and can afford to support us. We are giving some things away for those who support. You can go to our Patreon page. Links are in the show notes. But patreon.com slash striving fraternity and see some of the things we're giving away if you are willing to support us. So hope you find this episode of the Rap Report bonus episode helpful to you. This again was from a conference on the topic of suffering, the Sanctification Through Suffering Conference. And we hope you find these helpful. Make sure you subscribe to get the rest of the episodes of that. We're going to drop those in bonus episodes. So without further ado, here's the introduction that I have for Pastor Frank Mullis of Striving for Eternity. Last night was great for those I think it was anyone not here last night I think one or two yeah because you guys were doing VBS or uh, Iwana so um, we're going to try I, I did get the audios uh, I did check one of the audios and I think we can amplify it and edit it to get loud enough uh, what I'll probably be doing next month is put them on my podcast The Rap Report so um, what you need to do everyone right now take out your phones right now take out your smartphone get your podcast app out search right now for Rap Report with two P's not one P, that's rap music. I don't talk about rap music. I've gotten the emails. This has nothing to do with rap music, but did you listen to the end where it's, where it's got the gospel? You know. <laughs> so search, search for rap report, hit subscribe, and then 
when that downloads, when we have those, that'll download right there. There's two of them actually that should show up, Rep Report Daily and Rep Report. Uh, Rep Report Daily is a two-minute Monday through Friday. So if you want to get that, you get that. And right now, we ju- I think I just finished up uh, Micah. No, Obadiah, I think. I forget which one I just finished. Because I actually, re- Obadiah, was it? I actually recorded them before I went to California, so I did like three weeks of, of podcasts and, and scheduled them. Uh, but we're actually going through every book of the Bible in two minutes. Um, so just to give you a quick overview of every book of the Bible, um, and then I'll probably put them all together and put it onto the long edition at some point. So um, that's a podcast. Or there's two podcasts you can, you can get today. And when you do, make sure that uh, well, you listen for next week because we're going to put them all up there. Uh, Frank Mullis is a pastor down in Georgia, Devereaux Baptist Church. Been there, I'm I'm, yeah, I was going to say 15, but uh, so f- been there almost 15 years. Uh, he is a full-time counselor of sexual offenders, uh, so he gets to see the worst of humanity on a daily basis. Um, he also runs the Milledgeville Mixed Martial Arts Academy. Uh, he's got a black belt in karate and jiu-jitsu. Uh, thir- second degree or third now in jiu-jitsu? First, oh, first? I thought you got your second from... Ah, yeah. So... Um, so he's got that. Used to be a podcaster, but right now he's getting his doctorate and life kind of stops. Wait, he's got three full-time jobs. How does life stop, right? Um, but what we want to have him talk to you about is the issue of dealing with depression. Um, and, you know, this is a thing that many people struggle with. For folks who don't know, you may not realize many of your pastors even struggle with it. Uh, and, you know, there's people that end up being in positions where they have to kind of hide that. Uh, so this is an important thing to be able to recognize in ourselves, to recognize signs, uh, but also to, to see how we can help others. Uh, I did a podcast uh, with Amy Matravati on the issue of depression and anxiety. And one of the things we talked about is that people who go through this often go through it alone because they don't want anyone to know they're struggling. And uh, the reality is the, one of the biggest ways out of it is to have help. That's what church is for. All right. So Frank, if you want to come on up, and you got to check out his shoes. Check out those shoes. Yeah. So a little bit about my uh, background in counseling. Um, my se- my senior year of high school, I uh, took a psychology class. I kind of enjoyed it, so I said, "Hey, I'm not going into the military." My dad got very upset uh, when I decided to go to college because I had not taken a lot of college courses, and so he had to pay for for college classes uh, that were high school level classes to make up for those who's not too happy. Uh, met a uh, gentleman, uh, Dr. Tom Caldwell. He became my mentor in psychology. So my goal was to eventually become a psychologist. Now, a little bit of a side note, my grandmother is a Pentecostal, well, she's passed away. She was a Pentecostal holiness preacher. So that's the other side of my uh, background. And one day she prophesied over me and she said, you're going to be a pastor one day. I said, nope, I'm going to be a psychologist. And so at her funeral, I said, hey, we were both right. Um, so, so, so we, uh, I ended up, um, my going to Georgia college. I got a degree in uh, psychology and at that time decided to go to seminary. Uh, when I first went to Southeastern Seminary, it had just switched over from the moderate leanings. Dr. Paige Patterson had taken it over. And the counseling program had been a blended psychology. It was Christian psychology is basically what it was, as most of you know from that. Halfway through, the program switched to a biblical counseling program, Nuthetic Base. So I got the best of both, you know, quote-unquote, with that in between. So I ended up... Um, thinking I was just going to do regular counseling and and uh, realized that, you know, I, I have my premarital counseling, I have performed maybe about 12 uh, marriages and premarital counseling, and all of them are still married, which is wonderful, right? Right? Brian, Brian's. That's uh, what we connected. However, my marital counseling record is not so bad. There's a 100% divorce rate with my marital counseling. So I said, maybe... That's not for me. I was feeling really bad until I talked to a marital counselor who did it full time. He says the success rate in marital counseling is only about 20 to 30 percent, by the way. So it's it's not uh, those of you that do divorce care, you, you pretty much know that. So um, I ended up, of course, working with sex offenders now for almost 15 years working in counseling sex offenders. That's been my primary thing, and I've uh, done quite well with that. But, you know, in in the counseling world, we deal with a lot of issues. Uh, I don't deal just with 
you know, comorbidity, that's just a term where people have more than one problem. So one of the main problems that I deal with is depression and anxiety, and I usually send them out to other counselors who specialize in that. But over the last year, I've been working on my doctorate in uh, professional counseling at uh, Midwestern Seminary. And so it's one of those issues that you have to deal with. It's a primary issue. Most people that go into counseling are going for anxiety and depression. Those are the two main things that people come into counseling with. You as pastors know that you're going to deal with depression and anxiety with among your congregation. They're going to come to you to deal with those things. And so um, I want to talk to you first about a guy named Joseph Scriven. Joseph Scriven, his uh, death, we don't know whether it was an accident or a suicide. He was in serious depression about the time that this accident happened. He friend reported, we left him about midnight. I withdrew to an adjoining room not to sleep, but to watch and wait. You may imagine my surprise and dismay when on visiting his room, I found it empty. All search failed to find a trace of him until a little afternoon, and his body was discovered in the water nearby, lifeless, cold, and in death. Joseph was born in Ireland in 1820. His prospects seemed very favorable. He was educated at Trinity College in Dublin and was engaged to be married. But that's when the first tragedy struck. Ironically, his fiancée drowned on the evening before their wedding. This was seemingly the first of many misfortunes that led him to consecrate his life and property to Christ's service. He eventually moved to Canada and began tutoring for a living where he met his next young lady that he was going to be engaged to. However, shortly before they were married, she became ill and died. How would you respond to this type of tragedy? He joined the local congregation and began to assist the elderly. His sorrows seemed to make him much aware of the suffering of the poor and weak, and he attempted to live out, as I said, the Sermon on the Mount. He gave or lended to anyone who asked, sympathized with all who were more unfortunate than him, and he sawed wood for the stoves of the physically handicapped and comforted the poor. However, his last years were plagued by illness, poverty, depression, and then on August 10th, 1886, he suddenly drowned. Now, his tale wouldn't seem to warrant a page in church history were it for not the fact he is the man who wrote one of the hymns that must rank among the ten best known and more loved of all time that he wrote to comfort his mother who still lived in Ireland. You recommend this, uh, recognizes him. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, Thou will find a solace there. Years later, Ira Sankey, the hymn writer and D.L. Moody's ministry partner, he added this. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, before I begin into this lecture, I want to note uh, most of this comes from the lecture, my lecture notes and reading materials from my doctoral class in advanced biology uh, by Dr. Larry Cornine. Dr. Cornine says, if I was at least 30 miles away, I could claim it as my own. So I just want to give credit to him and other biblical counselors that most of this material arises from because it's not my area of expertise. But um, I, I put together this and I, th I think it's been very helpful. Um, I actually sent him the uh, sermon that I did and sent him a copy, and he approved it and said I should write a book. And I was like, well, it's all your notes. <laughs> I was like, we, uh, so let's talk about depression and anxiety. What exactly is depression? One writer said it involves a complete absence, absence of effect, absence of feeling, absence of response, absence of interest. The pain you feel in the course of a major clinical depression is an attempt on nature's part to fill up the empty space. But for all intents purposes, the deeply depressed are just the walking dead. If we look at anxiety, in scripture it's usually defined as fear. Anxiety is an inner fear of feel of apprehension, uneasiness, worry, and dread, and is accompanied by heightened physical arousal. In times of anxiety, we appear to be on alert, ready to flee or fight. The Bible often discusses anxiety in two ways. Both are very common. The realistic concern is neither condemned nor forbidden in Scripture. Anxiety is fret or worry is more distressing. A core reflects the lack of confidence in God and a tendency to take burdens on to ourselves instead of giving them over to God. 
However, this may not be sinful either. The second type is what most counselors and pastors are going to deal with. One of the things that I mentioned earlier is anxiety and depression are some of the most common mental illnesses or health problems in America. 17 million people in America suffer from depression, and that's the clinical level of depression. 25% of us will experience and a depressive episode in our lifetime. One website suggests that depression has an impact on nearly everybody if we consider both the depressed people, family members, friends, work colleagues, and others. It disrupts and interferes with our normal functioning, causes problems at work, reduces efficiency, it hinders our spiritual growth at times, and can destroy family and social life. The impact on the economy is considered to be in the billions And the mortality rate from depression, people who die from depression, is about 15%. Anxiety, if we talk about anxiety, this is the most common mental illness in the United States, fear. 40 million adults every year are diagnosed with it. About 18% of our population in the United States is diagnosed with anxiety. It's one of the most common medications I see among my clients. Anxiety and depression going together as comorbidity is not uncommon. Most people who suffer from anxiety suffer from depression, and most people who suffer from depression end up suffering from some sort of anxiety. Basically, half of the people are diagnosed with either or. But these two disorders are nothing new. We find them throughout Scripture, as Job wrote questions in God and his suffering. David wrote Psalms about it, which we're going to cover today. Elijah hid in a cave. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Justin pointed out Jesus weeping with tears. Hebrews points out, by the way, I think Paul wrote it through his secretary, Luke. So that's my theological opinion there. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Church history shows that is not uncommon among pastors. The malady so afflicted Martin Luther that his melancholy threatened to destroy him. Those of you who, if you're a pastor and reformed, you know everybody's got to quote Spurgeon. Spurgeon, after some sermons, would curl up in a fetal position in his office and cry. Some Sundays he was so depressed he hid in his home and his deacons had to go drag him to church. don't know if you knew that about Spurgeon. Here's what he said. I would... I could weep by the hour like a child, yet I knew not why I wept, recounted Spurgeon. He said, a veritable howling tempest in the brain, malignant sadness, my bones wasted through my groaning all day long. The unhappiness was like the dust that infiltrated everything. The iron bolt mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prison. But it's not just pain, it feels like meaningless pain. That is all I want in my life for this pain to seem purposeful. If pain leads to childbirth, then it is tolerable. But it just leads to blackness or nothing, and it threatens to destroy. That's the Prince of Preachers. I have many dear godly pastor friends that are currently going through depression that I talk to. About 70% of pastors suffer with depression at some point. In 1965, most of you recognize Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. One of his books that, um, and I would suggest all of you if you get a copy of it, called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, became his most popular and widely circulated books. And the reason being is because Christians get depressed too. So, of course, there are many depression theories. Why do people get depressed? Why am I suffering with this? Why do I suffer with depression? Most of the theories uh, in the psychological circles go with some sort of neurotransmitter malfunction. You know, whether it's the monomane hypothesis or the norepinephrine serotonin hypothesis or just the diathesis model of depression Basically, it's a model of mood disorders that refer to the interaction between experience of stress and a genetic predisposition. In other words, your genetics and constitutional predisposition to depression. That's your lot in life. Some people are more prone to depression because of their physical makeup. In psychological circles, it's called endogenous depression, that there's just something in your physiology, much like probably Luther and Spurgeon, that just are depressed. We, we have friends. We know people who are just what I call Eeyore, right? And, you know, I, I talk about that with my guys in group. I have people who are Tigger. I tend to be a Tigger person, right? My wife, it drives my wife crazy. Um, and uh, But there are Eeyore people that we have in our life who that's just how they are. Oh, it's a beautiful day. It's going to rain later. 
how's everything going? It could get better, right? I don't think they'd be excited if they won the lottery, you know? I'll probably blow it all. (laughs) They probably would. On the other hand, there is exogenous depression. This is depression precipitated by life events. Um, We were doing the uh, Iron Sharpens Iron podcast, and um, apparently Andrew said, I've never seen Frank depressed. And I'll be honest, I'm, that's not my lot in life. Um, the only the only way I know I'm depressed is if I actually take a depression scale. Y'all did, have y'all done the Myers Briggs? You know, I, I've been an ENFJ for my entire life, and one time I was taking it, and I was uh, I was an INFJ, and I was like, wait a minute, something's wrong. I've never been a I'm not an introvert. So I went and talked to one of my professors, and he says, what's been going on? I said, well, I just went through a breakup. He says, yeah, you're depressed. You know, it was a situational thing, stress and exhaustion. That's what I experienced most. I mean, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I drive literally, I drive a thousand miles a week. My 2012 car has 300,000 miles on it. Um, so, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in a car. You know, I, I spend a lot of time um, counseling and traveling. And so stress and exhaustion, and it gets more and more difficult as I get older, and you find that too. You know, as I remember, you know, Andrews talks about all the things I, I do, and, man, my ADD was wonderful for that. You know, I can get a lot of things done. As I've gotten older, it's a little bit more difficult, and probably the reason I've developed hypertension and other things. You know, so that's part of it. So, you know, you may experience exogenous depression because of you just... The inability to say no, like me. Of all these theories, the most popular, of course, is the biochemical hypothesis. So I'm going to talk about something that is controversial briefly before we move into the text. Um, a few other things, but let's talk about medications. That is the really the split that I found for those when I went from uh, psychology, secular psychology, into Christian psychology, into the new thetic. The time nuthetic counseling was anti-medication. It really was. Um, you know, and first of all, you know, I'm not anti-medication. I work with people who are extremely violent. Um, and they will kill themselves or kill you. So be thankful that I put them on meds. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I suggested, you know, hey, you need to get a med. And I can have them locked up if they become suicidal or, or homicidal. And, um, you know, I've had guys, they get their shots. Um, so there is a connection, at least in some way, that even the anti-physical uh, treatment people, there is something with the meds. They do something. The problem is we don't know exactly how it works. It's very difficult to measure the chemicals in the brain. There's really not any testing, and that's the issue that goes back and forth. But I've seen the medications work, especially in behavioral, especially in suicidal people. We know they work. Uh, those of you that take them, they, you know they work in some way. The problem is, is you're usually the determiner if it's working. You know, that's why they practice medicine, right? Is it working? Eh, no, let's give you a little bit more. And well, any side effects? What's well, doing this? Well, let's put you on a different one. And and one of the the issues I really have with the medication is which which uh, which medication uh, dealer came by and offered them a trip to the Bahamas is the next one that they're they're promoting. And so what I find is a lot of times my people who deal with behavioral issues, they go from one doctor to the next and they didn't tell them that they were seeing another doctor who put on a med and suddenly they're taking meds that are causing interactions. What's even more interesting is the placebo effect works 20 to 30 percent of the time. And this is where I'm going to leave you with the medication thing. The question with medication and other physical treatments for depression and anxiety is not is the treatment right or wrong. The question is, is the treatment wise? There are some people, as I mentioned, with the endogenous depression that the physical makeup, there's something that seems to work better. The problem I have with it is the exogenous depression is that that is the first go-to thing. It's the first go-to thing. I will use this in one of my counseling situation. And, and again, this is my kind of my clinical thing. I had counseled this couple through, uh, through the issues that they were having and they followed it, listened and went really well. The next time they came back for counseling, we're having problems. His wife has began to take some medication. What I find with medication, especially when it's the uh, exogenous problems, stress, anxiety, things going on, is that the medication seems to make us not care. It's just, hey, who cares? And so when you stop caring about your problem, that's good and bad sometimes. So what my my thing is, is just be very careful when it's the first go-to thing that a doctor with very little, I mean, that's usually the thing is, I'll find my, what do you say? Well, he didn't really say I need counseling, he just said I need meds. 
be very careful with that. That's that's my thing is just be very wise when your doctor's first treatment method for your anxiety or depression is, is medications. So with all these theories of treatments and medication, how about this? Many depressed people, people with anxiety, don't even entertain the thought of getting well. In this book I was reading, it says, Depression is not a feeling, it's their identity. What would Eeyore be like in Winnie the Pooh if he wasn't Eeyore? No, it wouldn't be, would he? The question we need to ask a depressed person, do you want to get well? And it should you should ask them, make them step back for a moment and think about it, is that if that's true, some things in their life may have to change. Some depressed people, it's their belief system. This is who I am. This is who I identify with. This is how people recognize me. They often get attention from it. And so if they get rid of depression, they seem to be getting rid of a part of themselves. However, many depressed people say they want to get well, but they reject every way out. Man, if I get rid of my depression, I won't be able to hold on to my anger or my bitterness. Man, if I get rid of this depression, I may have to forgive them. If I get rid of this depression, people may not pay attention to me like they used to. Depression is oftentimes, for some people, a way to avoid things. Man, if I'm not depressed, I may have to get a job. I may have to get complicated relationships. You know, I, I don't want to deal with people. I may have to confess my sin or other responsibilities in life. To give up depression means that they have to not avoid things they don't want to avoid. Unbelievable as it might sound, some people prefer their depression over getting better. It's convenient. At least they know it. When I first started counseling, I had to meet the person's partner and we we would have to talk and make sure they understood that the person had committed a sex crime and they weren't allowed to be around children and things of that nature. And I began to talk to the partner and found out that the women that they were bringing in were molested as children. And they would tell me, yes, I understand that I was molested as a child. And I scratched, I began to scratch my head and I couldn't make sense to me. Why is a woman who's sexually abused wanting to be with a sexual abuser. So I called up my supervisor, the one that passed away, and I said, uh, can you please explain this to me? I have no clue understanding how this doesn't make sense to me. She says, it's very easy, Frank. All you have to remember is it's familiar. They know how to respond to that type of situation. They know how to deal with someone like that. So let's move into from the physical side of depression to the spiritual side because we as Christians understand there's a such thing as spiritual depression. And through the scriptures, that seems to be what most of the people in Scripture experienced is different from psychological depression, but understand they can be connected. You know, I'm, if we talk about the doctrine of man, I'm, I'm, I believe man is a unity. I'm not a trichotomist or a dichotomist. I believe we're a unity. I believe that we're one. And I believe everything is connected. And so spiritual depression seems to be the absence of God's delighted presence. So to ward off it, we must put the two last words together, God's delight and presence. This goes back to what we were talking about last night. Who are we in Christ Jesus? Who are we in the sight of God? This is a theological understanding when we deal with depression, is understanding that it's very easy for us to think about ourselves and stop thinking about God. And I want to say this, at least from a Jonathan Edwards standpoint, if God for one moment stopped thinking about us, we would cease to exist. We end up even as Christians, even if you know you want to hold to an Arminian view or Pelagian view, ever what your understanding, but is in the Reformed view, salvations of the Lord. But what we oftentimes find is that in Christianity, we believe that sanctification is becomes a workspace system. We forget that God is part of sanctification. And if we're talking about sanctification through suffering, one of the issues that is part of this is that God not only died for our past sins and our present sins, but you know what? He died for our future sins too. Jesus died for your future sins. Brother Eric and I, we were talking, is one part of Christianity that I missed, and it was probably from bad theology of Southern Baptist. We spent a lot of times talking about propitiation, that Christ died for my sins. And that's what I understood. And so what I believed and it's probably incorrectly, maybe it's just ignorance on my part, what I believed is I was responsible to be good as a Christian. And so I turned Christianity post-salvation into a moral belief system that God loved me as a Christian based on my goodness and how good I could be. But that just didn't work and fit <laughs> with the way my mind worked. <laughs> you understand? Because there was still sin that dwelled in me. I think that whole verse about Paul there is post-salvation. I don't think it's pre. I, I really don't. And what I understood is the imputation of Christ's righteousness changed my understanding of my morality post. Is that 
no matter how much I sinned post-Christianity or how good I was, that God still loved me. And if you're a believer, He still loves you. That when He looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees the robe of Christ's righteousness. He sees you in Jesus. That's the impact. That's the impact of the gospel post-salvation is that He loves you. He loves you. A lot of hellfire and damnation that we hear. Paul Washer scares me too, I promise you. But I'm telling you, your morality does not dictate God's love for you as a child of Christ. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. That is the wonderful news for Christians, that He loves you with the greatest love that is possible, that agape love that we hear through Scripture. And so as we look at our depression again, as I just got off on a preaching tangent, if you want to find one of the best Christian counselors out there, it's Ed Welch. You need to Anything that you can get on Ed Welch as a pastor for pastoral counseling, or if you're a counselor or you just want to read, whether it's drugs, alcohol, Uh, depression, Ed Welch is the go-to guy, biblical counselor. And here's what he said. How can you determine if depression has a physical cause or a spiritual cause? Well, I'm going to summarize it like this. There are two types of counselors. My supervisor, she was like a mechanic who liked to tear apart the engine, find the cause of the engine's failure, which could take a long time, and then she would begin to teach you how to rebuild the engine and put it back together. I tend to like be on the other side. It's easier to pull out the old engine and put in a new one, right? Get rid of the old way of thinking and start thinking new. It's a lot faster in my opinion. But both work. But here's the thing. Ed Wells says it doesn't matter If it's a physical cause or a spiritual cause, you're going to treat people and deal with people in the same way. The Apostle Paul speaks of spiritual depression like this in 2 Corinthians. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And, And this is what Justin was saying. We got right to the edge, and he holds right. I, that illustrates it. I'm going to steal that, and I'm not going to give you credit. Okay, so right. So look, depression is profound. It's devastating. It is not permanent. Even if you stay depressed for 70 years, that's it. The hope of glory is coming, and you'll never be depressed again because he's going to wipe away the tears and sadness. That's the hope. And by the way. Philippians, uh, just throw in some anxiety there where we talk about don't worry, right? One of the problems with counseling people when we point out sin is worry, guess what your counselee is going to do? They're going to worry more because now they're sinning. So it adds to it. What I believe Paul says in Philippians when he says, be anxious for nothing, right? Don't worry. He's saying, hey, God's got it in control. Why worry? In other words, there's no reason for us to worry. There's no reason for us to fear. God's got it. So let's go to the text. The 4th century B.C. Hippocrates gave the first clinical depression description called melancholia. But 500 years earlier, King David gave a more biblical and vivid description of the emotions. In Scripture, you don't see the term depression. You will see much of the terms such as torn down, broken down, things like that. We're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43. We're going to exegete a little bit. It's a psalm of distress. The Psalms in trouble. Even though it's not mentioned that it's David, some like Calvin maintain it is. Some see it post going through with Absalom, what David was going through. But mostly, most people think that it was during his exile uh, from Saul. And his lamentations centers not only his loss of family and home, but it being deprived from access to the sanctuary. So turn to chapter 42 of Psalms and 43, and we'll look at it, and I'm going to divide it up. I'm going to give you the symptoms of depression, and I'm going to show you the cure for depression according to the psalmist. My tears, in verse 42, 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Isn't that what we were saying earlier? Where's your God? Isn't that what they said? When you're in bad trouble, you, you ask yourself, where's God? Notice he says, my tears have been my food. Crying spells is indicative of depression. If you've been depressed, you know that you cry oftentimes for no reason. What he's saying is, I'm really lacking the spiritual nourishment of God's presence here. There are many Psalms that talk about, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Where is your God? We see that. It seems to be worsened because the presence of God seems foreign to us. That's why we need a good theology of eminence and transcendence, right? It gets worse. Where's God? I'm doubting Him. Look down at 42.6. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. That's how you feel. You feel cast down. You feel pushed down. The world is on top of you. It's pressure. You talk to people who are depressed. 
I feel pressure, all this pressure, fear, anxiety. But look how he responds. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon on Mount Mizar. His depressed mood and he's feeling blue here. And he looks at the distance from God. How far am I away from the sanctuary? One of the things that we do when we get depressed, and this is one of the things I do, if you want to know if I'm depressed, is when I stop calling you. When I stop going and hanging out with you. That's one of the things I do. I just, I don't want to be around anybody. I want to sit in my room, and I want to play video games, and I want to forget about the world. And he feels far away. This is one of the verses that we, we think of um, in, the, in the Psalm 42.7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's signifying here the overwhelming trials of life. It says, God, you're ultimately responsible for the oceans of trials which I seem to be drowning in. Now what we often do, what are you doing to me, God? Why am I going through this? Why do I feel this way? God, why aren't you helping me? Where are you, God? This seems to be the language of Jonah in verse 3 of chapter 2. For you have cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas and the floods compass me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. It feels like a flood is coming over you. And you're having this flood of emotions and all of these things are going through your mind and it's, and it's circling around in your head and you can't get a grasp of what's wrong with me. You ever felt that way? What's wrong? If you live with girls, I have, I live with five women. Deal with it. Walk past my daughter's room. She's crying. My wife's in there consoling her. I was like, What's wrong? Are you okay? Why, why are you crying? I don't know. And I was like, well, if you don't know, I certainly don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way it is. You, you can't grasp the, the, what's going on and you feel hopeless and you feel overwhelmed. And that's part of depression. And this seems to be, have gone over me that, that there's this seems to be a well-known image of despair and trouble throughout scripture. In 42 nine, I say to my God or say to God, my rock, notice that I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I say, to my God, my rock. It's not like he doesn't know who God is. You think Spurgeon didn't know who God was? You think Martin Luther didn't know who God was? They too asked the question, have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the depression of my enemy? What this is saying is, God, why aren't you acting now? It's a demand on God to act quickly because I feel lonely. 42.10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So not only are you asking it, but everybody else is asking it. Where was God on 9-11? But notice he says, wounds in my bones, physical pains, chronic joint pain, limb pain, back pain, physical. Notice the spiritual and the physical are connected. I think that has to do with my own personal hypertension. I was having back problems for a while. Could have been that people were cranking on my joints from jujitsu, but forty two eleven A. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Notice a feeling of emptiness and loneliness is one of those symptoms of depression. And forty three two. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? And again, feelings of rejection. That's one of the reasons for depression is being rejected, rejected by friends, rejected by you know your your spouse, and and you're going through these things, especially as y'all deal with with divorce. They're going to feel rejected, and that rejection is going to lead to depression. So let's talk about now. We we we've discussed the symptoms. We see what depression can be. In, in a person's life. So let's seek to find what David's solution is to these problems. And I will say this, when depressed, your main need may be to seek God himself, not just relief. You see the difference? I think Justin kind of alluded to that last night. Move outside of you and back to God. In Neuthetic Counseling, the number one cause they would tell us, depression is selfishness, is pride. Just as a side note, one of the psychological studies out there, the number one reason that your kids lie to you is not to get out of trouble. It's because that they don't want you to think bad of them. So my pastor, who's very neuthetic, friend of mine is very neuthetic, he goes, oh, you mean pride? <laughs> They're just prideful. They don't want you to think less of them. So he kept going back to sin. And 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 that's one of the difficulties I have with neuthetic counseling is it seemed to be that everything was sin. And guess what? A lot of it is. So here, first thing we notice that first we need to seek the person of God. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The verb there, to pant, is an expression form of a spiritual thirst for God. This deer's body is still, his heart's pounding in his breast, the whole body of the deer is on alert, he's tired, but cannot relax because he's thirsty. We've been thirsty like that before. But notice that's not a thirst, a physical thirst. It's like that for God. You have that thirst for God, to know God. David feels truly deserted in these Psalms, but yet he's seeking God 
to relieve him of his loneliness, his depression. And he becomes nostalgic. As believers, we have ready access to the Father through Jesus' Son. We have an advocate with the Father, a very present help in times of trouble. We seek Him while He may be found. Seek the person of God. We all experience times of extreme tiredness. It's normal for us to go through that. Our energy levels can go down. You know what? Sometimes we need to just relax. Relaxation, get away. I asked my friend who was depressed, says, when's the last time, pastor friend says, when's the last time you've been on vacation? He goes, you mean a non-working one? You mean when you went to a conference and you brought your family along? Four years? We as pastors sometimes forget how to relax. I'll tell you, up until I started my doctoral program, my family and I, we, we spent a week on vacation every year, 10 days. And then that's kind of gone to the sideways. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Look at 42.5. We seek the Lord and we want to seek the presence of God. Seek the presence of God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. This is a refrain from 42.11, 43.5. Psalmist questions, despairs, and wonders why he's in trouble. But notice that he speaks of hope in God. He is our hope. The Hebrew word here is to hoping and waiting on God that's not a futile activity. It is the faith that God will act and bring in deliverance as we've seen in Proverbs twenty twenty two. Hope in God is not vain. Oh, just hope in God. Nah. No. You gotta understand that faith is very much connected to hope. That's what the definition literally means. And so he begins to rebuke himself for his despondency encourages himself to trust in God. It goes back to our mind. Finding those scriptures that you can memorize that speaks of trust in God and how God fulfills his promises. And there's hundreds and hundreds of promises that God makes to us throughout scripture. And you start memorizing those promises. And when you start feeling this way, you begin to put it into your thoughts because our thoughts change our feelings. Your feelings will change your behavior. If you start with feelings, your behavior will follow the feeling. If you start with your thoughts, but before your thoughts comes your worldview. Your worldview will dictate your response to your thoughts and your feelings. Just like we said last night, bad theology, poor theology is one of the main reasons we suffer. So you need to not only develop a theology of, of, of suffering, but you need to develop a, a psychological, and I use that term in the Christian sense, psychological understanding of problems. Find out what scripture says about depression, what it says about anxiety, and those verses you commit to memory. So when you experience these things, your worldview will dictate how you think about it, and it will aid and help those of you that are in counseling. Psalm 42.8 and 43.4 seek the praise of God. 42.8, by the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the love of my life. God commands his loving kindness to make itself apparent in both the daytime and the night. What I find often in scripture is that, as I mentioned last night, they start questioning God And it seems to be that God kind of delights sometimes in our questioning because he says, really, I will show you I'm God. By the way, he shows you in scripture, right, Justin? (laughs) If you want to hear from God, read scripture, right? My favorite quote by Justin. 43.4, then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, you go to your special place of thanksgiving, literally unto God, the gladness of my exaltation. Where is your happiness? Where is your happiness? Jesus said, is it where you put in this world where moths are going to eat it and rust is going to do it? Yeah, because where your thoughts are, where your heart is, it's where your treasure is. And if your treasure is in your belongings and they burn, what's going to happen? If your treasure is in your children and something happens, if your treasure is in your spouse, something happens. I hear that all the time. Why Why have you changed your life with my daughter? It's like, what happens if something happens to your daughter? Oh, don't say something terrible like that. Your hope has to be in the rock, not on the sinking sand. My harp, I will praise you, O oh my God. You know, just sometimes singing. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. He said uh, he was he just had a heart surgery, almost died from a heart attack, and he said he has these. He says I'm not saying I hadn't had those depressive thoughts, but I put a song in, I start singing, my countenance changes. Don't believe it? Read 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 what happened to Saul when God sent those uh, demons to mess with him. When did they flee? When David played. And if it is spiritual, there is a 
definite spiritual element that's going on. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are other forces that are trying to break us down. 43.3, and this is important. Seek the precepts of God. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Send out the light of truth. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you're depressed, you ball up in a hole curl up or do you open your bible and you go to those precepts that i've mentioned and you find those verses and you commit those verses and you trust god and you do it and you do it and i have people i've, I've read how many times a couple times and i said how long do you do it i said until you change you understand look depression is very very debilitating you're not going to want to do it but if you believe in the sufficiency of scripture because what really shows is when you say scripture doesn't work you do not believe in the sufficiency of scripture if medication is your first thing you go to if a secular counselor is who you first go to and you don't go to the word you don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture i've challenged many people in my professional counseling degree I'm in a secular realm, so I have to deal with secular things. I have to understand psychologists and psychiatrists from a secular background. But there are many counselors that are there, pastors' wives who are counseling women, pastors who are counseling in a, in a, in a Christian setting that don't have to use secular means. And they're using secular means as their first and foremost method. And I'm like, why? Because it works? No, electric shock therapy works. I mean, there are things that work. Just because it works doesn't mean it's godly. But if you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, you keep doing it till it works. Because it will. Part of the diligence that we see in Scripture and the endurance is you being faithful. Let them bring me to the holy hill. What's next? Seek God with the people of God. Let them bring me. 42.4 These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would with the throng leave them in procession to the house of the Lord. Great shouts. Look, when we're depressed, we avoid people. That's what I do. You need to find people in your church that you haven't seen in a while that you know are going through stuff and you got to go to them. Brian reminded me of that. That's why we lean on one another. We talked about that suffering that we've gone through, the endurances and the trials and tribulations we've gone through so that we're able better able to help others you're going to have to help some people out of depression you're gonna to have to go knock on the door get up get out let's go send out your light and your truth let them lead me let them bring me to your holy hill your dwelling 43 4 then i will go to the altar of god to god my exceeding joy so let's close this out here's some just some application to this first and foremost neuthetic counselors are not anti-medication per se. What they want you to do is go to a medical doctor and get a physical. If you're depressed, go get a physical. It could be something. could be ladies, thyroid, estrogen levels, men, testosterone levels. All these things affect. So get a, get a physical. Get blood work done. Sometimes if it is endogenous there and you may need medication. Not as I said, but don't let it be your go-to. You need to work on ways to resolve the impact of the psychological causes. Death of loved ones. You're dealing with that. You help others change the way they think. You show them the scripture. You take them to the scripture. You help them apply those scriptures to their life and guide them into behavioral changes. Some things we do on a regular basis is depressing, like work. That's why you need a vacation. You need a break. Uh, People who just, there are certain things that they do on a regular basis that are very depressive. I know people who go every day to the cemetery to see their loved one. Every day. That's depressing. Assisting people in coping with their environmental influences. Do you know you have some depressive people in your life? You have an Eeyore? That Eeyore is a problem because now he's pushing you to be Eeyore-like. It's not, you know, bad to have an Eeyore in your life, but you need a Tigger too, right? But you don't need a Tigger all the time either. (laughs) You need social support systems. Look, if you got a friend who's talking suicide, and I know I'm short on time, Andrew, but I'm going to... Quick story. Five Solos podcast. You can... Open that one up. I'll give James a a, a, a bid. James um, James Watkins is uh, my associate pastor. James Watkins started out as one of my martial arts students. He disappeared. Hadn't heard from him in years. One day, I opened up Messenger. Says, uh, hey, you're a pastor, right? I was like, last time I checked. It's that day of the week. Yeah, I'm a pastor today. Says, I got a theological question for you. And I was like, okay, what is it? Do people who commit suicide go to hell? This is one of my cautions to you. As theologians, listen to the question being asked. Because not all questions that are theological questions are theological questions. My response to him, thank goodness I was a counselor. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Nothing for five minutes. Yes. Do you have a plan? Yes. What is it? I have a bottle of pills and a fifth of Jack. Nothing. Then it says, then he says, 
Do you think I'll go to hell? The very fact you ask me this question may be very well God is telling you that you will go to hell if you kill yourself. Where are you? Nothing. And he just quit talking to me. I go immediately to my martial arts school and start looking through my records to see if I could find a number. About an hour I found the number. I called him. This is not the best way, but this is the way and it did work. I said, James, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. I said, let me tell you this. If you kill yourself, I'm going to have to deal with this the rest of my life. Do you really want to put that burden on me? I made him quit thinking about himself and think about me. Several months later, he meets his current wife. He gets, uh, she gets him into church. He gets saved. He starts coming to my church, gets a call to the ministry. Now he's my associate at my church. That's the sovereignty of God. You need to learn how to deal with suicide if you're going to counsel people because you're going to deal with it. So a couple things for you for depressed and I'll be done. Number one, trust in God. Don't you just love that, that little trust in God? That's just simple. It's like the Sunday school answer, Jesus. It's really understanding the nature of depression when people are depressed. You, you've got to understand it. You've got to take time. And if you're depressed, you need to read about depression. Get one of Ed Welsh's books on depression. Read articles on depression. Find you some godly counselors, talk to them about depression, and understand why you're depressed. Many factors that lead to depression. One is anger. If you, I, I'm not, I'm not an angry person. I don't, I don't get angry. I'm just, just not. If I get angry, it's, it's really bad. I'll just say that though, right? It takes a lot to make me angry. Just don't make me angry, right? But if you, if anger is a problem for you, you need to learn anger management skills. Like me with stress, stress management skills, breathing techniques. Learn how to relax, relaxation techniques. Learn to control and change self-defeating thoughts. I call these automatic thoughts. I'm, I'm going to talk about this briefly. I'll be done. Andrew's going to start throwing things at me. Automatic thoughts. Automatic thoughts are the thoughts you learn from your childhood if you had dysfunctional parents. You're stupid. You're no good. You're worthless. And worst things I could say that I've heard clients say that their parents told them when they were children. And guess what? Every time they make a mistake, every time they sin, every time they do something that seems like a failure in life, those words of their parents and others in their life pop in there, you idiot. You're so stupid. And so you have to help those people or you yourself learn to replace those automatic thoughts with scriptural thoughts about how much Jesus loves you. Reaching out to others, and this one is keep physically fit. That's one of my issues. King David says, why am I so discouraged? Why am I so sad in the road? I will put my hope in God. I want to say this to you if you're lost, if you're not a Christian. If you are depressed, you don't need to simply feel better. You don't simply need medication. You don't simply need a good counselor. You need the wonderful counselor. You need a redeemer. The gospel will change your circumstances if you're lost, I promise you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, this word from these many wonderful counselors that I've, I've been able to glean from. I don't want to take credit uh, for what they had to say, but it's you who helped them uh, through your word put these things together. Father, may they help us and apply these to our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.